Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to HuffPost's weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Rachel Moss. And me, Brogan Driscoll. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. We cover underreported issues and tackle the topics you're too squeamish to talk to your mates about. This week, we'll be looking at friendship breakups. We'll be talking to clinical therapist Dr. Miriam Kimea and Amina Tuso, who's presenter of the hit US podcast Call Your Girlfriend and co-author of Big Friendship. If you want to join the conversation on social media, use the hashtag AIMYU. So friendships are obviously a glorious part of life and they can be intense and brilliant and wonderful, but it's because they're so brilliant that it can really hurt when they come to an end, which is why we wanted to talk about friendship breakups today, because I don't think we talk about friendship breakups enough generally in society. And when you look back on those friendships that have ended, it can be quite uncomfortable. What do you think, Brogan? Do you have those friendships that make you feel uncomfortable still to think about them or or how do you feel looking back at friendships that have have ended have not stood the test of time I mm. have yeah a few actually but one that springs to mind as you ask that question is um I had a really really intense close uh, group of girlfriends growing up um and then when I went to uni and a lot of them stayed at home and started working. So we're kind of still all like seeing each other like every few days. Um, We ended up growing apart and stopped talking. And looking back, I just, I just didn't handle it very well. You know, like I essentially ghosted them and it's something that like, I do think about these girls quite a lot, not because I feel like, you know, we, we should, be friends again like I'm you know I feel like you know we were going in different directions and that's all like good that's yeah. fine like people move on but I do have some regret about how I handled the situation like I didn't communicate what wasn't working for me in a very grown-up way I mean I was only 19 but you know I just didn't handle it very well and I think uh that it's important to keep your side of the road clean so to speak um and if there's any uh proof that that this does kind of hit me quite deep still. Whenever I go home to stay at my parents' house, I very regularly have dreams about some of the girls in this friendship group. Like it'll be obviously Mm -hmm. as dreams are like a really, really bizarre situation. And then one of the heads will just pop up. But still, (laughs) I still think about these people. And obviously, yeah, it's like a deep thing. Yes, like 15 years ago or whatever. But Yeah. yeah, that's fine. What about you? Yeah, so I have one that really stands out. I had a really intense friendship with someone when I was at university. We were totally inseparable to the point that we had a kind of weird Brangelina type name attached to us. It got slightly ridiculous. And I think with the two of us, because we both have sisters and we're both close to our sisters, and then we were suddenly at university without those sisters, we just became each other's sisters. You know, we filled that role with one another 
but unfortunately we did fall out and I look back on that now and it's just this big hole it's hard to put it into words actually for the sake of this podcast because even though again that was a long time ago now so I was 20 I'm now 28 that was eight years ago but it's still something that I think about quite a lot um this particular friend we'd kind of joked that you know we were always going to be by each other's sides at each other's weddings and she got married a couple of years ago and I only saw that because of Facebook and that reopened the wound slightly and now I'm getting married next year and obviously she's not going to be there and I was choosing my bridesmaids and that again made me think about her so even after all this time it's still not something I've completely got over and there are romantic relationships that I don't think about twice now, to be quite frank. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm getting married. Um, sorry, boys. But, you know, <laughs> that's the case. Um, but but this particular friendship that ended, it's clearly had a really big impact on my life. It's interesting, isn't it? I guess it, around the breakup itself as well, how everyone, you kind of drew a comparison there between romantic relationships and friendships mm. breaking up. But everyone is on hand when you break up with like a partner, um, God, yeah. and you get given also like a free pass to just be you know to cry to get really drunk whereas <laughs> with friendship breakups no one cares at yeah. least in my experience no one gives literally people are like all right move on you got other mates <laughs> people don't rally around in the same way at all and it's because as well I think there's a definite end to romantic relationships at least in you know monogamous relationships or long-term relationships you're either with someone or you're not with someone mm-hmm. whereas friendships they can kind of have a difficult period for a long time and then it might end up in an explosive argument and a bang and it's gone or it might just be a fizzle but there's no definite end date there's no like relationship status change Mm. in the same way and so yeah you don't you just don't get that support I think the way that we're socialized as little girls or at least the way that I was socialized as a little girl has definitely played a part in this whole idea of how important friendship is and how it is forever because like I'm a forever friends generation remember those little teddies um I've definitely uh had one half of a BFF key ring um made countless friendship bracelets and this isn't something that stops when you become an adult you know there's sex in the city Thelma and Louise conversation with friends by Sally Rooney which I devoured um everything I need to know about love by Dolly Alderton which is not about love well it's about love for your friends and love for yourself um swing time by Zadie Smith is about two best friends in childhood who grow apart and just basically go separate ways and it's and the main character like that friendship has like really affected her into her adult life and it's just heartbreaking reading swing time really got to me as well and I feel like maybe it's it's this thing I was mentioning earlier about not handling myself very well with a breakup and that reminds me of that famous quote that I love by Yala Van Zandt who says you can have friends for a reason friends for a season and friends for a lifetime that's so refreshing the idea that it doesn't always have to be about BFF you're my friend forever all that stuff you know it, it might sound quite harsh on the surface to say you're my friend for a reason <laughs> But actually, if we were all a bit more transparent about our friendships and said, you know, right now, this is what I need. And also, it's what you need. So great, let's crack on. Then Mm. we wouldn't have these big breakups, maybe. And we wouldn't have those heartbreaks. And I think as we all go through different milestones in life at different times, maybe it's quite natural to 
you know have a friendship fizzle it doesn't have to be a big breakup it can just be a fizzle you can grow apart in the same way that a romantic relationship can grow apart maybe because someone's had a baby or someone's focusing on their career or someone's moved or you know any of those things and just accepting that takes the pressure off a little bit Definitely. When researching this podcast, we found a a really fascinating Finnish study from 2016, which found that both men and women actually make more and more friends until the age of 25. And then after that age, the friendship numbers start basically eroding and you end up with fewer and fewer friends. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because when you are at school, then you might go to onto a different secondary school or go to college or university or move for a new job. You're kind of like collecting all these friends like Pokemon mm-hmm. cards. And then when you get to 25 or so, if you choose to settle down, if you choose to have children, these are all like massive factors that that make your your world change. And it's it's hard to keep up with everyone that you've ever kind of collected as you've gone through life. I do think it's important that we move the conversation on and look at what makes a friendship work. Definitely, there are going to be friendships that you need to kick to the curb. But, you know, there might be points along the way that you could salvage a friendship or that you could reframe a friendship so that it works for you and the part of your life that you're in at that kind of moment. And that's why Rachel and I are so excited to have the guests on today, because Uh, the work that they're doing in this area is not to exaggerate but it's kind of revolutionary I think. I was close to a girl at university we spent a lot of time together and she even asked me to be a bridesmaid at her wedding which was scheduled two years in the future. After graduating I moved back down to London to be with my family. About a year after moving my granny who lived in the family home went into hospital. Very difficult time for everyone. I needed help and support, I just didn't know how to blurt it out and ask for it, so instead I'd reach out with odd cryptic messages without ever actually explaining what was going on until late in the day. About a year after that I received an invitation to this friend's wedding, which made it obvious that I was no longer going to be a bridesmaid, although I hadn't officially been told. I still went. Later on I told her that I'd felt abandoned and rejected. And she said that I had made it impossible to support because I hadn't really said what was going on. She's absolutely right about that. I wish I had just spoken up and reached out and we may have still been friends today. Our first guest on today's show is Aminatu So, who is a US-based podcaster, businesswoman, digital strategist and the co-founder of Tech Lady Mafia. She co-hosts the hugely popular podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, and has co-authored Big Friendship, a new book with her long-term, long-distance friend, journalist and editor, Anne Friedman. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. The first question we wanted to ask you, just because we find it fascinating, um, is about the fact that you and Anne went to therapy for your friendship. Therapy is still a bit of a taboo, even to go kind of as an individual Going to therapy for a romantic relationship is even more uncommon. So I hadn't really heard of anyone going to therapy for their friendship. Um, And I'd just love to hear more about that. Sure. Anne and I have been friends for 11 years now. And, you know, for six of those years have also been co-workers. So, you know, our friendship operates on a lot of, of different levels. 
And I would say that sometime in the middle of our friendship, and we entered this period of a couple of years where we were really missing each other and we were miscommunicating, there were a lot of things that were left unsaid. And I think that the overwhelming feeling for both of us was really like, is she doing that on purpose? What's going on here? And we never had like an explosive blowout fight. There's not an incident to point to where you can say, oh, like, this person like misbehaved really badly here. I think that it is very natural when you are intimate with people to go through these periods, you know, in, in romantic relationships, there's literally a shorthand for this, that we grew apart and every, and everyone kind of understands what you mean, but there's not really an equivalent for that in friendship. And like I said, we work together. And so it was very awkward that our work life was going well. Like we are very good colleagues that has never been an issue for us, but the friendship itself was becoming um, increasingly more fraught because there were so many things we were not talking about you know, to each other, which again, is so magnified by the fact that we actually do have to talk to each other every day for work. Who said to who, like, let's go to therapy, because that is quite an intimidating thing to say to your friend, because you don't know if they're going to turn around and go, what do you mean? We haven't got a problem. So how, how did therapy actually even come about? I mean, we knew we had a problem because we were sitting down to have a conversation about whether we could take on another work project. We were both very quickly like, mm, I don't think I can do that. And she said very plainly, she was like, it feels awful. Instead of hurting, it actually felt like a relief because it felt like, oh, these bad feelings that I have, she is also having. So it really started a conversation for us of, okay, if I am not understanding you and you are not understanding me, what's a way that we can fix it? Like the question was not to fix our friendship. It was truly like, how do you understand me? And in a work context, there's actually some support for this. You hear of co-founders going to coaching. So that definitely is a model that has existed for a long time because capitalism is very invested in uh, people who work together getting along well. And so, you know, I would I would say that that was an opening for us. I do not remember which one of us it was that suggested it, but I know that when Anne was receptive to it, I've known her for a long time. And I know that therapy is not something that's necessarily in her wheelhouse. That was a huge indicator that, okay, we can do this. So where's your friendship at now as a result of that therapy? Obviously, you co-host the podcast. So I'm guessing it's in a much better place. Well, spoiler alert, we did not break up. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, it's in a better place. It's in a healthier place. We started that podcast six years ago. We were both like very different people today than we were then. I think that a really natural part of friendship is allowing yourself to grow, but also allowing your friend to grow and being open to the possibility that the people that you were when you met are not the people that you are currently and are not the people that you will be in the future. As well as podcast hosts, you are authors of a new book called Big Friendship. I think it's really interesting the term that you've kind of coined there, big friendship. Can you tell us a bit about what big friendship means to you and what it doesn't mean as well? Well, one of the things that you're picking up on is that there is not very precise vocabulary for how we talk about our friends. The word friend really means anything from someone that you've not spoken to in 45 years but grew up with to <laughs> someone, you know, like someone that you casually follow on Instagram and have never met before to someone <laughs> to someone who is a really deep friend that you want to be there on the day that you die. And so in coining Big Friendship, we were really looking at a specific kind of friendship, a friendship that is rooted in the future, a friendship that is very active in the day-to-day, a friendship that is mature and hearty, and a friendship that two people are agreed on that they are investing in over and over and over again. Friendship really is that like day-to-day, we are in this thing together and we are a community. 
Can you talk to us a bit about kind of why you wanted to kind of coin this term as a, you know, as opposed to, or kind of to challenge perhaps some of the notions that we have of friendship? I think that the notion of a BFF or a bestie or a best friend, even though these are words that I have all used, they're a little childish. Honestly, like I'm in my mid 30s. I'm trying to have a little bit of self-respect, but also um, self-reflection about what that means. And yes, like best friend or bestie or whatever, these all imply an exclusive kind of relationship. I am in big friendships with multiple people. And I think that that is something that is recognizable for a lot of people. There are a lot of different people who hold different parts of your personality and different parts of your, your heart and your life. And I think that focusing on the friendship and not on the friend is also a way to really solidify that friendship is a relationship and an institution that really begs to be taken seriously. Can you talk to us a little bit about what spurred the two of you on to actually get together and write the book and why you think it resonates with so many people at the moment in particular? The plain and simple of it is that we wrote a book that we really needed when our friendship was on the rocks. And so the book definitely is born from the collaboration that we have. Like I am obsessed with Anne's brain and how she organizes her ideas and how she thinks and and the things that she has to say. But there was just no way that either one of us was going to write this book without the other because specificity is so, 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 so important. We cannot really tell a story about friendship without really examining and challenging our own friendship. And so we write it in one voice. It is written in first person plural There's no uh, she said, she said, there are no dueling chapters. There's no like asking the reader to choose like, oh, who is right here and who is wrong here? And we really just wanted to write a joint narrative of what it is like to be inside of the same friendship. So what other ways do you think the narrative around friendship needs to change? I mean, I think that mostly the narrative needs to change in that we need to understand that friendship is a relationship that, you know, belongs to the same place of importance as family bonds and as romantic relationships. And also, I think that, you know, it's worth like really understanding that if people have healthy friendships, their other relationships are also healthier for it. I just cannot imagine the pressure that you put on your partner, for example, not being able to just Um, spread that out equally, (laughs) spread that load out equally. (laughs) And, you know, the, the point of our show really, and of this book, and of so many of the ideas that we talk about are about letting adults make adult decisions, like really unencumbered by patriarchy and unencumbered by paternalism. And if people want to organize their lives around their friends, then why not? Why does your next of kin have to be someone that you are either biologically related to or someone that you marry. And and really understanding that friendship is a unique kind of relationship in that it really challenges a lot of aspects of how we have previously organized life, but also is a place where people can really be free to be themselves. And I think that that is something that is like very, very much worth like having a public conversation about. It makes me think about when people talk about their chosen family. Yeah, I mean, chosen family is a term that very much directly comes from queer scholarship. A lot of LGBTQ identifying people could not have family in this traditional way because their families of origin rejected them. And so they had to create their own family bonds. And that is definitely a model that appeals to me and Anne, but I think that it's really worth elevating like where that term comes from and understanding what it means So it is like a real privilege for those of us who enjoy biological family ties to still be able to organize our lives differently. Our friend Beth Pickens always says, you know, you have your biological family and you have your logical family. Could you give some advice 
on how you guys keep your friendship in check, perhaps? Like any any kind of advice for listeners would be great. You know, I would say like speaking only for myself, it is okay to verbalize things that I don't quite understand yet or to just say in real time how I am feeling. You know, for someone that is like struggling with their friendships right now, that is not a problem that you can solve on your own. It's only a problem that you can solve with your friends. And so I do think that it requires a kind of vulnerability. And I understand why people are reluctant to do it. It feels dangerous to tell your friends like, hey, I um, I really love you. you know? And, and I, we don't we don't have we don't have a social script for that. You know, like we barely have a social script for it in romantic relationships. But there are all these steps that you can follow and no one thinks you're a weirdo if you're like hi I would like to talk about the status when I'm drunk yeah a lot of that comes out but I don't do it I know over, to be honest. very very British <laughs> <laughs> if you say to your romantic partner like hi I would like to discuss the status of our relationship maybe it's a little bit weird but there is a social script for that but if you say that to a friend it feels very far out there but I would really like to normalize that it's so great that you've put so much time and effort into your friendship with Anne something I'd love to hear about is the friendships that you haven't held on to. When did you know that it was time to let go of those friendships? And what was different about Anne's that made you want to work on it? I have lost a lot of friendships. And I think that in looking back on them, I am so struck by how poorly I handled so many of those situations. But I also think if there was social support for friendship at a cultural level, we would see so much less of that because we would know how to address those situations, you know, and I think so much about relationships I had deemed toxic in the past, such an easy shorthand for when you don't like someone that you're friends with. (laughs) For the book, we talked to a couple experts about this. And they really challenge this idea of a toxic friendship. Is the friendship toxic or is the dynamic toxic? Not to always draw a parallel to romantic relationships, but in a romantic relationship, you actually have to break up with someone. It's not nice and it's not pleasant and it's not great, but you actually do have to break up with them. And there is like a culturally acceptable like period of mourning. There is, you know, like people understand when you're like, sorry, like I like I'm having a really rotten time and my partner and I are, are broken up. But like, you know, can you really say that with a friend? Can you ask? like for a day or two off at work if you and your best friend are broken up I don't know you know that like as a society we accommodate that we just have one question now that we ask all of our guests at the end of their interviews and that is what makes you uncomfortable what doesn't make me uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) question you know I man this is kind of a cop-out but I used to be made really uncomfortable by earnest displays of emotion like that would Like nothing would rattle me more than that if someone just told you how they felt because I am not that kind of evolved being. But I'm happy to report that is, uh, you know, that's that's a little better for me now. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel and Brogan. I really appreciate it. I started suffering with anorexia when I was about 18 and the nature of the illness meant that it wasn't up to me if I told people or not. And I had some amazing friends that did stick by me, but what really hurt and confused me still to this day is I had people that I was so close with and strong friendships with that literally cut me out almost overnight. I went to being nothing to them. I would walk past them and it was like being a stranger on the street and I had zero explanation for this. Um, And talking to therapists in recovery, I think it's something that a lot of people with mental illness experience that 
just you being ill seems to be enough to end that friendship and it's really sad and confusing and really ruins any previous memories you have with those people. I've had probably more friends break up with me than boyfriends break up with me, which I think is kind of depressing if I think about it too hard. It also begs the question why we spend so much time talking about whether you have good taste in partners, for example, but never really whether you have good taste in friends, which is something I've always thought, like, do I just have really bad taste in friends? In the same way that, you know, you have women who are attracted to men that are bad for them. Do I, am I attracted to friends that are just not very nice or that I'm really poorly suited to? Is that a thing? Now we're joined by Dr. Miriam Kimea, who is also on the East Coast, but this time in Canada. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Dr. Kimea is a clinical therapist who specializes in friendship and is coincidentally one of the experts that the authors of Big Friendship reached out to as part of their research. She spent decades researching the area of friendships and regularly writes about friendships on platforms like Psychology Today. Dr. Kimea is also working on her own book about friendship to better understand the conflicts and transgressions that occur in platonic relationships. First off, big question perhaps, why friendship? What fascinates you so much about this topic? My journey to focusing on adult friendship really stemmed from a lot of the early work that I had done with children. I saw that there was very little research on adult friendships and that it's just kind of overlooked both in the world of research and in our everyday lives, that there isn't this same emphasis on understanding how we can make and keep friends as adults like there is for children. And I think that that really leads to a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions. And there can be a lot of shame associated with the experience of struggling in our friendships. We so often feel like we're the only one who's going through these kinds of struggles, and that can add a lot of heartache to the confusion that already exists. So in your research over the years, what are some of the key things that sometimes cause those conflicts between friends? So I like to separate the challenges into three main categories, which was part of the work that I had done when I started studying adult friendships. So the first category, what we call transgressions. So these are situations where one friend has violated what would be seen as a core expectation. So somebody is unreliable, trust has been shattered in some way, there's difficulties related to equality or balance in the friendship. So that's one category. The second are the conflicts. So these are more minor disagreements, perhaps. These could be differences in social or moral or political views. And then the last category are situations related to support, because what we see is that it's not only challenging when we feel like a friend has done something that uh, has upset us in some way, that it's equally challenging in many ways when we are struggling to support a friend in need and we aren't sure what to say or do. We were um, talking a bit about milestones when we were planning this episode, sort of thinking about how when you reach a milestone at a different time to someone else, perhaps having children as one example, how that can sometimes change the dynamic of a friendship. Is that also something that you see with the people you work with? 
Absolutely. And I think this is such an important point because so often what causes difficulties in our friendship has very little to do with the friendship itself, that it is very much a function of going through these major life changes or stages or transitions, either at a different time than our close friends or our experience with those transitions ends up being quite different. And so again, our needs and our expectations no longer match up the way they once did. Why is it that we grow apart and what can we do to try and stay connected? They're really needs to be this kind of ongoing involvement and decision to stay connected in this way. I also think it's important to acknowledge the growth that happens. We are obviously evolving as we go through these life changes and transitions. And what can happen is practical obstacles aside, we might end up in places where our our values differ and where we're just no longer able to connect in the way that we once did. And so often what I see in my practice is that people see these kinds of changes as leading to an inevitable end in some way that no longer able to connect the way we once did. And so this is just the end of the friendship. And so part of the work that I often do with clients is to help them learn the difference and figure out the difference for themselves about whether this is a friendship that's worth reinvesting in in some way and figuring out perhaps new terms for the friendship and new ways to connect, or whether these changes do in fact mean that you're no longer able to connect in ways that are equally meaningful for both people. It sounds like you work with people to attempt to reframe what that friendship might be. Is that Right. That can yeah, that can happen. It really it's hard to make kind of a general statement here about what friendship therapy looks like because for some people it is a matter of in some ways shifting expectations about the idea that friendships shouldn't change and that they should always remain exactly the same. Sometimes I'll encourage clients to become more comfortable asserting certain needs or expectations or boundaries and really communicating that to our friends. I think what can happen when we're so close with people is that we expect them to be able to to know what we're feeling and we expect them to be able to know what we need. And that really ends up doing us a disservice. The more communicative and open we can be about what we're feeling, how things are changing and where we'd like our relationship or our friendship to be, oftentimes that can lead to the very changes that we are craving. There are though situations where we grow apart from friends. And I do think that there needs to be space where for us to normalize that process, that this happens, that this is normal, that this is expected. Not all friendships will last. In fact, uh, an overwhelming majority of friendships don't last and that that's okay. That doesn't make the time we had together any less meaningful uh, and that there's room for learning in that. What do you think about the term toxic friendship? Is it useful or does it oversimplify all of this stuff? I do believe that that word resonates for many people. This does make some sense because we know that our friendships are so connected to our health, both our physical health and our emotional well-being. The difficulty is, as you said, I think it really is oversimplifying the experience. And a lot of times it's very easy to jump to these kinds of labels or conclusions and to, to label our friend or our friendship as toxic. It takes away the focus from what's actually not working in the friendship. And we're no longer motivated to really think about, hold on, what is not working for me? When we just apply these labels like toxicity to our relationships, we're really not able to ask ourselves the questions that lead to closer connections over time. What are some of the major differences between romantic relationships and platonic relationships, particularly when it comes to that big final breakup? The biggest difference really relates to the norms 
that exist. So when we think about the right way, so to speak, to break up with a romantic partner, we expect those conversations by and large to be in person. We expect there to some extent to be communication about what's not working. And we really don't necessarily expect or even have those kinds of conversations when it comes to friendship breakups. That's not to say that we need to, but I do believe that the lack of norms or expectations surrounding the breakup itself can create a lot of confusion and ultimately also lead people to avoid doing that and having those kinds of conversations because it's just not clear what we should say or do. I'm really interested in the differences between female friendships and male friendships. Could you talk to us a bit about the differences in the way that we socialize and how we form friendships? Part of the thinking at least used to be that women build friendships and build that type of closeness in their friendships through what we call self-disclosure, which is really the act of sharing personal information about ourselves. Whereas for men, what's really important are these shared activities. So bonding over shared hobbies or passions and spending time together in that way. And so There is some truth where women's friendships tend to be a little bit more intimate and a little bit closer in that way. I mean, we could also go into all the societal norms and expectations that probably influence those types of dynamics as well, right? But there is some research in support of that. One of the differences that has been documented is that women do have higher expectations for their friends and that they're actually more bothered, both in terms of their emotional reactions and even their physiological reactivity to interpersonal stresses. And sometimes this can lead to an increased likelihood of ending a friendship or at least responding to it in some way. Whereas for men, they might be experiencing these same kinds of challenges, but they're less they're less likely to notice them or to be bothered by them. Where does the idea that friendship should last forever come from? That idea of the BFF, especially for women? Again, on the one hand, this is reflecting the very intense closeness that we can feel with our friends, especially a best friend, that it does feel like this is something extremely special and something to be celebrated and something to hold on to. And what we're saying when we tell somebody, you're my best friend or we're friends for life or you're a sister to me, is we're reflecting that choice that we're making. If I choose you, I choose you to be my best friend. I choose you to be my person. I choose you to be my family. The difficulty is, again, that it creates these expectations that close and closest and best friendships will last. And that's certainly not everyone's experience. And so when we grow apart or when we lose touch or when a friendship ends, we again are not only dealing with the the pain of the breakup itself, but all of the shame and loneliness and isolation that accompanies it because it simply is so unexpected. What are some of the key ways that we can maintain healthy friendships? Are there any checks and, uh, and tips that you would give to listeners? For the most part, our closest friendships are with the people that we see or speak to with some type of regularity. And you can hear me kind of hedging here a little bit because again, the expectations can really differ friendship to friendship. And the best way to do that is to sometimes schedule checkups, sometimes team up for multitasking in a way. So really getting in that frequency. And what I mean by multitasking is, you know, if you need to pick up groceries, finding a way to do that with a friend, or I mean, now things are a little different, right? With everything online too, we can have a discussion about that. But getting in this frequency and balancing these kinds of frequent check-ins, even just sending a quick text message to a friend, letting them know that you're thinking about them with quality time. And this is the piece that I really do emphasize in my work on friendship, because we don't, again, 
think about the importance of quality time in our friendships the same way we do our partnerships. That especially in couples therapy, that's a big emphasis, right, of the work that we do is what do you experience as, as quality time and, and what does your partner find meaning in and how can you create a bit of balance there and bring more of that into your life? And so it really is a matter of finding ways to prioritize quality time in your platonic relationships and to have discussions with your friend to make sure that both of your needs are being met. Because for one person, it might be a really intimate conversation. And for somebody else, it might be going out and doing the kinds of things that you really enjoy doing together. So we have one question that we end each interview and ask each of our guests, and that is what makes you uncomfortable? Oof. Um, answering questions on the spot. Let me think about this. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll stick to friendship for a second and I'll share that in the context of friendships, what m- makes me uncomfortable, what I've had to come to terms with and do a lot of kind of inner work on over the last few years I've been through some fairly significant personal and family struggles. I'll put it that way over the last few years. And when people try to support you with statements that often fall under the umbrella of toxic positivity, I don't know if this is something that you've heard of, but it's being spoken about more and more. So these are statements like, um, don't worry, it'll be fine. Everything happens for a reason. You only get what you can handle. I see everyone kind of (laughs) shaking their heads, right? It evokes something in you. And that both as a um, therapist, a psychologist, and as a human and as a friend makes me uncomfortable. And it, it has made me very uncomfortable because it doesn't allow space for real processing and real connection. And I've had to do a lot of work as I think, you know, a lot of us have with recognizing that this is obviously somebody else's attempts to support you and to make you feel better. Again, these aren't skills that we're taught. We're not taught how to support our friends. We're not taught how to sit with somebody in their pain and heartache and allow space for being as opposed to focusing on trying to fix the problem, right? Or reduce the heartache or pain. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been really brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You just heard from Dr. Miriam Kimea. I don't know about you, Rachel, but I feel like I have a lot to think about. That was such a great episode. I love it. Oh my gosh. There was so much. I think one of the biggest things that stood out was just like, take some responsibility for your friendships, guys. I also really loved that idea that you have to look at the patterns in your friendships. So when one of them was saying about, you know, if you have breakup after breakup after breakup, or there seems to be a pattern emerging, maybe it's you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe, or, or, you know, something in your life that's making it hard for you to sustain a friendship, perhaps. But that's really interesting. Again, just taking a bit of responsibility and looking at what's really going on. I think we can all learn from that. Definitely. And then obviously, Aminatu went to therapy because Mm -hmm. of her experience in friendship. And I'm just like, I've never been that engaged in a friendship before. Wow. I also like what they were talking about, communication and sharing what your boundaries are and what your needs are with your friends in the same way that we would quite naturally perhaps do with romantic partners. I love that. Just kind of saying this is this is how I'm feeling right now and being vulnerable to kind of encourage an open conversation about what's going on with your friendship. And they kind of spoke about it in such a like, I know this is what they do and what they talk about quite a lot, but it it kind of made it sound so easy. I was like, oh, 
that's all I have to do. Just say, I want to talk about our friendship. It just sounded, I don't know. I feel like we kind of maybe think that addressing the elephant in the room is, is such a big thing when actually, you know, it, just, it can just start with one sentence, just, just one kind of expression of how you're feeling and then go from there. Like, as they were saying, like, you don't have to solve everything in one, in one conversation. Mm-hmm. Like you won't, you know, there's a lot, but I think the kind of general theme from today's episode was definitely about kind of, as you say, taking responsibility, but having open communication and being able to kind of listen as well. Just being brave about your friendships. If you are brave and you say, how are you feeling? Because I'm not feeling great. Then maybe you won't ever have that huge argument, you know, or sort of nip things in the bud before it gets to that stage when it breaks up. Mm. And yeah, scary, but worth doing, I think. So that is all we've got time for this week on Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Please subscribe to our podcast and give us a lovely, lovely review. I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. And I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. This podcast is produced by Crystal Genesis. Our assistant producer is Rachel Porter and our sound engineer is John Johnston. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? And the hashtag is AIMYU. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 